0: Welcome to The Stumbling Spirit, contemplations on the path of resilience. Whether you realize it or not, you are resilient. It's your birthright. As you take in your next breath, know this truth. It's not only about your capacity to overcome difficult situations, but it's about your courage to do the necessary work to heal, learn, grow, and move forward. What you gain is invaluable wisdom. And it's through these hard stumbles in life that we often discover a new purpose that aligns with our spirit. My name is Fabio da Silva Fernandez, Reiki master, mindfulness coach, and mystical explorer. Join me weekly as the Stumbling Spirit podcast highlights the lives of extraordinary people like you, sharing transformative stories and beneficial practices of resilience to guide you on your wellness journey. Imagine running through the scorching heat of Death Valley. Darren Waldrick did it. And for 35 years, he's gone the distance as a competitive runner, often finishing within the top 10 in local Canadian races. He's a respected coach with two decades of experience training athletes at all levels, reach their running goals. In recent years, Darren shifted his focus from road races to ultra relays. His passion project is called Run to Montreal commemorating the life of his dear friend. Here to discuss this and more is Darren Weltrick Welcome.
1: Thanks very much, Fabio, for having me.
0: What was it like running Death Valley?
1: Uh, so I've done two different types of projects uh, in Death Valley. I've run, I'm about to do my fourth speed project from a uh, race from LA to Vegas, so And with that, it's, my, it's very similar to Run to Montreal. It's, it's hot, but you're on the roads. There's not much trail, a little bit of off-road stuff. And then the other project that I've done is uh, an actual expedition where we sort of lived and breathed for a week through Death Valley, like an actual expedition. So you never left Death Valley for seven days. So both were very different, but hot, as you can imagine.
0: <laughs> so how hot was it? And how did you manage that?
1: Uh, the hottest that I've experienced in there was in you know into the forties, forty-five degrees, and that was on the expedition. But that's your rate right in the interior of uh, of Death Valley. So whether it be in the salt flats or right in the literally in the middle of uh, a place called Furnace Creek or a place called Devil's Golf Course, these are it, it's fully exposed. There there isn't any shade, and you're just it's designed to sort of kill you. That's what the 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 salt does it sucks the moisture from your body. So that was hot, but you also move at a moderate pace. It's not like, again, like the speed project where you're, you know, racing or pushing pretty hard, you're pushing, but in a different way, you know, you sort of go in knowing what you're getting yourself into and, uh, and just preparing for it that way.
0: Just to orient uh, our listeners, the speed project is a run from LA to Las Vegas, and it is a relay And there are teams that register and part of the course goes through death valley and so that's what we're talking about right now so speaking of which you are blazing fast i mean 16 minute 5ks one hour 17 minute half marathons what has been your most challenging race
1: just for reference i think if we're looking at pbs I've done many sub-16 and sub-113 halves. But in terms of most challenging race, I would say that the first, probably the first speed project I did tied with the second run to Montreal I did were the two most challenging ultra races period, ultra relays. And then being able to, you know, I was quite fit in those days, uh, being able to sort of run at some sub 330 per kilometer pace after running 16, 17 kilometers. And people say it's a relay. It is, but you're sort of you're stuck in an RV, you're not sleeping, you're not really, you do your best to hydrate and and nourish yourself. But it's a little bit different than, you know, sleeping well and preparing for your best 5K or your best half marathon.
0: Right. You know, so this ultra relay is relatively New to you in the sense that you know you've done other road races in the past, you've done trail runs and stuff. But in general, like you've done this for three decades, more than three decades. So what keeps you motivated to continue running?
1: So at the time when when I started doing ultra relays, it, they were at that time in 2017. That was it was newer to me for sure. Uh, but that's why I wanted to do it. I needed a different challenge because I'd been running for so long. As you said, I've done every type of race from cross country. Uh, you know, I grew up on the track um, and all that sort of stuff. So I, I wanted a different challenge. And because, as you said, as a as a running coach, I live, eat, breathe, talk about train running all day long. So, it, uh, you know, it's hard for myself to say motivated and, you know, part of keeping my athletes motivated is in fact, being motivated myself. So I needed to look for different types of things to do. And uh, at the right time in my life, for a few different circumstances, I'd sort of heard about uh, some friends who had been invited to try this speed project, as uh, some people I'd coached in the past, but it wasn't open to the public or anything like that. And it wasn't when I did it either. So I sort of reached out, got some info on it. And I'm like, you know what, this is it's rare that I'm inspired by so many other things, like by, by something that other people have done. It was really a really exciting thing uh, to sort of hear about. So I reached out to the race directors, got myself an invitation and uh, put together a team. And I was very excited because it was the exact type of racing that I do well with. It suits me very well. I like, I love running high mileage. Uh, I like running fast. You know, I've done ultras before, but long runs are not my favorite. I'd rather do two 10-milers in a day, two 16K runs than uh, one 32K run, for example. It's just how I'm built. So it suits me very well. And I just, I got very excited about it. And uh, after I did it the first time, I was like, this is the format that I'm going to use for a project that I'd had in mind.
0: Absolutely. And I really want to get into that. So that run was in part inspired by someone that is very close to you or was very close to you that passed away called Colin. Could you tell us a little bit about who Colin was to you?
1: So Colin was a uh, larger than life kind of uh, friend of mine started off as an athlete, just very uh, whimsical kind of guy has his own business or had his own business, always very entrepreneurial um, and a big, um, big presence in his friends' lives as well. You know, he sort of fancied himself a James Bond he was a decent runner, was never going to be an Olympian, but loved the sport. Back when he was a child, he worked, or a younger, much younger person, uh, he worked at the runner shop, the second oldest running store in North America. And, uh, and so when I met him, and I heard he was, you know, looking for a coach, some that would be mobile enough to go to races with him, you know, we just hit it off. Our love of travel together and uh, and both being entrepreneurs and and sort of big ideas people, uh, so we became fast friends. You know, a close friendship and a coaching athlete relationship are very, uh, very similar in some ways. Uh, they're very intimate, and I don't mean intimate in any sort of sexual way, but I mean intimate in terms of how you get to know someone and and spend time with them and and all of that sort of stuff. That's just the kind of uh, friendship that uh, Colin and I developed. So I'd sort of said to him one night over many, many martinis. Um, that I was going to, you know, I want to do something different. I was looking for the next Mm. challenge. Coaching was great and all that sort of stuff, but I wanted something different and not different just for difference sake. I want to preface by saying that, uh, you know, I believe you you need to do something a lot and and do it well before you can think about getting sick of it if it's something that you love. So I decided I was going to do some sort of a run from Toronto where I live to, to Montreal, which is my home and where I'm from. And he sort of laughed in a knowing way, thinking, well, you know, if somebody's going to do this, you will. And we sort of tossed some ideas around, but that was about it. But we knew that uh, at the time he had um, he had cancer. We found out it was terminal, he had brain cancer. So I sort of spent most of the next year of his healthy, you know, I guess a healthier life um, traveling with him and doing adventures whenever I could. Uh, just while he was healthy enough to do it, so my focus on going to Montreal sort of was put to the side.
0: What was the impact of his passing on you? Loss.
1: You never realize until somebody's gone or something's gone just how much you you know how much space it takes in your in your life. And in this case, it was very good space. A uh, very close friend, someone I admired, someone that was uh, you know is a few years older than I am, and um, he just didn't care what people thought of him. You know, I'm like that, but it was nice to see someone else who had sort of done similar type things, you know, in terms of his business and, and adventures and things like that. And he was always the guy in his circle of friends that came up with the big ideas. Uh, or if somebody else did, he was the one that would back them up. It was tremendous loss and a bit of emptiness. Uh, it was also, you know, it was one of the first times, you know, at the time I was in my 40s, one of the first times I'd had a close friend sort of pass away. And you sort of think about your own mortality at that point. So, you know, and I was in a job that was outside of coaching that was, I'd realized it was going to be a dead end job. And, uh, so I needed to make some changes and I was like, well, this is it. This is no time like the present. I'm going to get myself into this race, the speed project race, uh, whatever that means, I'm going to do it. And we'll call it research and inspiration. If nothing more, went out, did it, met the guys who, who started it, told them why I was there. And, um, you know, they loved the fact that I was honest and i front. They said they would do whatever they could to back me up. And uh, I said, listen, I just, the format that you have is what I want to do. I want to just bring it over to uh, our neck of the woods. And so we did. And that was all because, well, in large part, because of some inspiration and kind words from Colin.
0: One of the things I'm reflecting on right now is, you know, you're, you were doing something for so many years for your own wellness to you know, for for your physical health, your mental health, and then something like this happens, what shifts for you internally? What else are you doing outside of the running to help with your healing process?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, keeping yourself busy, having a focus uh, that is inevitably going to do good for others. You know, we raised a lot of money in that first year and now I encourage other teams to raise to do their own raising uh, own fundraising running for for me was more than uh, just about competition as you say it was about my own lifestyle it's just who I identify with and it allows me to sort of move through emotions them good bad or otherwise so that's sort of I used I use running, and I used it in this case to be creative, come up with something that I thought at the time would also help maybe bring the Toronto running community together, because at that time I would say that there were you know I I've got one of the longest private running clubs around in Ontario, but um, before that I co-owned another one, so I mean we're you know we're talking early two thousand like. None of the clubs and, and 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 crews like running crew didn't the, the term running crew didn't exist at that time. So I think, you know, as those different run clubs and, and different uh, teams grew and sort of emerged, one thing was clear. It was very disjointed. There wasn't a lot of togetherness. And I was guilty of that. And I thought, well, here's an opportunity for me. I'm not going to say I was the only one doing things to try to bring the running community together, but it was definitely one, something that I wanted to do. And so I held a big, what I called launch party uh, uh, for Run to Montreal. And that sort of made me feel good to bring, you know, we brought several hundred people together from the Toronto running community on a Wednesday night um, to a rock and roll bar in Toronto called the hideout. And, uh, and just got some live music going and got a bunch of people talking about running and people who hadn't seen each other in a long time and people maybe who didn't think they'd socialize or hadn't in, a, in years uh, into the same room. And it was great. Next thing you know, all this time passes by and you've done something really cool. Now, when I think back on Colin's passing, uh, it's not with sadness, but certainly with, um, you know, I'm happy to have known him and to have drawn inspiration from that friendship to do something like this.
0: Yeah, I recall in one of your posts, you wrote something to the effect that you wanted to do something with every last breath to honor this lively human being. It sounds like the run to Montreal represents that for you.
1: It definitely does. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, it's just uh, something that's come together, something that I was able to create with the help of others. It's just awesome to see it still thriving. And many other groups have sort of made it something of their own as well, which is really cool to see.
0: The Run to Montreal is a 650, roughly 650 kilometer, over 400 mile run from Relay from Toronto to Montreal. It's a fundraiser. You're raising money every year for these charities. And there are a number of teams that get entered into Run to Montreal and there are different teams that compete against each other. And this is over how many days?
1: Uh, So, you know, for the initial uh, scope was between 50 and 60 hours and now we've broken 50 hours. So that's sort of how long it takes. So, and it's nonstop.
0: How much money have you raised for charities?
1: That I couldn't tell you. I mean, in the first year or two, I I definitely had those numbers. I'm not a fundraiser. That's not my motivation. I wanted to do something good for uh, a couple of the charities and organizations that were near to Colin and uh, you know the place where he where he passed, uh, Kensington Health. But and then you know I had some help from uh, other different organizations, so I wanted to make sure that they were taken care of. But what it's become now is a much I think, a more effective way of people doing good for others. So you're, if you enter a team, Fabio, I encourage you to take up your own, you know, whatever is near and dear for you if you want to raise money. Uh, if somebody else wants to join and they're really not interested in raising money, but they just want to do something really awesome and inspire their kids or their friends or whatever, that's Sort of the effect that we're trying to have.
0: It sounds like you're doing good for yourself, you're doing good for others, but also you're creating community in what it sounds like a time where there is a separation between local running groups. Does that sound about right? I would say so.
1: Uh, The community aspect is a big part of it for me. You know, I've received a lot of good from running, and uh, it's kind of a cool way to give back. And I can't tell you how many. How many teams I've seen do this event or other events like this, but do this event in particular and the friendships and uh, families that they sort of created uh, and the closeness is uh, like, these are relationships that will last forever in many cases. So it's really cool. You know, I tell everyone who does this for the first time, it'll change their life. Um, whether it makes you a stronger runner or a better person or a better teammate, or it really puts perspective on, you know, what really is, something worth worrying about. You know, I came back from an expedition in uh, in Chile uh, in the Atacama Desert in November. Uh, went for a run with a couple of my friends and I was like, it really puts in perspective every time I do one of these trips, just the nonsense that we worry about day to day, you know, I don't know, my coffee wasn't hot enough. I had to wait in line at the store. I, you know, whatever it is. Uh, the stuff that we worry about and get upset about is just often in many cases ridiculous. Go and do something like this. And come together for a couple of days and do something really hard and really challenging, something that isn't comfortable, and grow. And I think that will, you know, as individuals, we all can benefit from this.
0: Can you explain a little bit about the logistics behind Run to Montreal? Logistically, what you need is uh,
1: at least an RV to sort of follow along with your runners, probably a bike for bike support While, while I'm running. You might be driving. We'll have a navigator. We'll have one or two people sleeping. We have the next person ready on deck. A couple of people eating and getting ready for their next leg and so on. And you just keep going until you get there. You just pass through the baton until you get to to Montreal.
0: How many runners per team? You know,
1: we've done it with seven to eight. Don't advise it. Uh, Most teams do 10 to 12. 11 to 13 is sort of a good sweet spot. Or if you're going to do it with eight or nine people get at least two dedicated drivers uh, so that your your teammates aren't driving. yet they're just focusing on running. And the legs don't have to be broken up evenly. There is a very detailed map and booklet with each leg broken down, directions, and the GPS coordinates are provided so that you can go and look at them uh, and look up your leg so that you can see where you're going. But, you know, there'll be many times where maybe you'll you'll do three or 4K at a time just to sort of break things up. Doing eight to 12K legs over and over and over can be tiring. So even though you get a bit longer rest that way, uh, but it's really up to your own personal team strategy to do uh, to decide how you want to do it. The only diff- The only couple of rules are you have to follow the map as it is. And legs one and 67, the very first and last leg, only one person can run them. So the same person starts and finishes.
0: What do you recommend for a team to prepare for such a distance?
1: Most teams looking to complete it for the first time and have a good time doing it are probably people who are training for half marathon and marathons. Uh, Most people are probably experienced runners looking for something different. Uh, I recommend throughout your training cycle, many days of double or triple runs. They don't have to be super long runs. They can be three, five Ks. As an example, maybe you're doing a, you know, a Tuesday morning run before work, and then you go and do your Tuesday evening workout with your group. Lots of those types of things, getting out and doing some night runs when you don't feel like it, you know, and organizing a couple of events with your team just to sort of practice doing that. So it could be a a fun overnight event where you, you know, you meet at nine o'clock and do three 8K legs uh, together with a half hour break. We also organize one or two of those uh, with the event to bring all the teams together and just give uh just to give everyone a sort of an idea of what uh, what that's like and have some fun and get to meet the other uh, the other teams out there.
0: What about nutrition and hydration on the course? What do you recommend for that?
1: Well, luckily with run to Montreal, there are many places to stop and pick up supplies along the way. I recommend you start off fully stocked with all the types of things that you'll need. Uh, we provide um, hydration, uh, energy bars, and uh, and protein. Uh, and we'll, we'll provide coffee. That's very important. Make sure you know where the coffee stops are. But in terms of everything else, just keeping hydrated and keeping easily consumable snacks.
0: It sounds like a really exciting route and a really good challenge for any runner that wants to do something Different. It is.
1: You know, I've done it seven times uh, every year. And I mean, I doubt I'll get to run every leg, which is really cool. Every year is different. It's awesome. Do
0: you have a funny story that you can share about run to Montreal?
1: (laughs) It's funny. If you didn't ask me this question, I would have 30 stories. But this one in particular stands out. Apparently another team showed up behind a school or a church, or I'm not sure what. Um, and uh, they showed up, they parked there waiting for the runner. And I guess they had to use the washroom and, uh, you know, run to Montreal. It's all about shitting in the woods. If there's, <laughs> if there's no Tim Hortons. We actually wrote a song the first year on the way back uh, about that uh, called shitting in the woods. Anyway, this team shows up, all they saw behind whatever it was the school or the church was just drops of <laughs> of toilet paper, everywhere from all the other teams that had been through. Now, I don't recommend people doing that, but it was definitely one of the funnier stories that I heard.
0: Well, this is the thing, right? Because I'm sure that in parts of this course, it's in the middle of nowhere. What would you recommend to a team in in that regard?
1: Become comfortable using the outdoors. Lots of wet wipes, honestly. Uh, I heard a team last year managed to not do any of that. They managed to only use public washrooms along the way. There are certainly enough of them. I can't imagine how they were able to time it that way. But, you know, who am I to argue? I will say you definitely do not want to uh, use the RV uh, washroom.
0: I was just about to ask that. <laughs>
1: that one, uh, you, you take the toilet down and just make it, we make it a rule. You know, I have an RV company that I u- often use, and we just make it a rule with the, with the company that No team's allowed to use it Um, for a variety of reasons, but um, one being you want to make sure that uh, you're going to smell at the end of two or three days of running as it is. You don't need anything else in the RV uh, creating
0: uh, additional discomfort. With each year, does it present a new challenge for you?
1: Uh, It's funny that you ask that. I never thought any year would be more difficult than the first year. Then year number two was almost as uh, if not as challenging as the as the first year, just in terms of organization and and making sure you're getting people to do it. Each year, I would say that we've had some different challenges. There's always more and more teams interested in doing it. But the year leading into uh, our lead coming out of the pandemic was one of the most challenging, because we weren't even sure we could do it yet with lockdowns um all over the place we just didn't know what was going to happen and the year before I'd sort of shut it down weeks before we had four teams we were going to go and just do it uh, ourselves and not do not really create a lot of um publicity or hoopla about it but um I just decided for the sake of the race and the health of the race we didn't we that wasn't going to be a good idea so I delayed it a year and we did two virtual events but um the year coming out of it two years ago It was nuts because some of the sponsors that I had, I had an amazing footwear sponsor. Well, the players had changed over the pandemic and all of a sudden it was much harder to get stock, uh, stock levels and um, shipping was a problem. So getting product that I had promised for people was going to be an issue. So I had, I think, nine weeks to restart the whole process from the time I announced the date of um the fifth year and uh and this was going to be a make or break year like i knew we'd have some excitement going coming out of this people were looking for something crazy to do and at that time uh, that we did it no other fall race really existed around Uh, you know they they hadn't come back yet so i wanted to sort of cement my my time in a you know in a better spot we used to do it in November and November temperatures can be pretty harsh. You know, the first year we finished in minus 18. So we uh so I had to get a whole new footwear sponsor, uh, nine weeks to go and they had to come up with product and um you know hoodies and all of this stuff. This all happened in in two months, whereas I would normally have eight uh months or nine months to sort of get this done. And um, so that sort of happened uh last year the race grew um, a fair bit so there was additional logistics uh, with that and we lost our hotel partner uh, last year I think with the reopening of the world some sort of uh, convention booked up everything and uh, so in August you know the race is in October and August I had to go and find a new hotel and parking and all of this sort of stuff in Montreal and as you can imagine uh, as the race gets bigger it's harder and harder to sort of secure these types of things.
0: I think it's pretty incredible that you were able to still do the race during the pandemic, because as you said, there were a lot of runs that just had to suspend all of their events and you were able to continue with that. I think that's pretty incredible.
1: Well, I think looking at the guidelines, um, during that time, there was nothing preventing you at that time from getting together, uh, and doing something like what we did. You just couldn't have massive groups of people, um, Altogether, but we were never a massive group altogether. You know, you know, groups of small groups of ten people, um, and you know, maybe maybe if you're lucky to see another team or two, and there's one or two runners out on the road at the same time, that's about it. You asked about funny stories, um, the reactions on people's face when you explain to them what you're doing is always the best. Um, but even during that sort of pandemic, coming out of pandemic year, nobody really bad an eyelash. In Quebec, it had just started where you had to have vaccine passports, so we had to make sure everyone got this taken care of. It just all the, everything came together in that year. So, um, and all of our partners, luckily I have a good relationship. I've been in the business for a very long time. So uh, there was a, a level of trust there and we were just able to work together and sort of get this done. And people were itching to have some fun.
0: How much is it to register a team?
1: It's $1,000 a team. Each runner will get uh, running shoes and a hoodie at the very least, uh, sometimes a t-shirt uh, in addition. And then each team will get a nutrition package, usually in- including coffee, a case of beer to celebrate afterwards. And then there's always a variety of other goodies uh, that we um, that each team gets that I work on each year, plus discounts with um, hotel and uh, RV
0: sponsors and things like that as well and it's a thousand canadian dollars
1: a thousand canadian per team correct so about a hundred bucks a person roughly
0: so any fundraising for charities is over and above that money that they register for the event itself
1: correct and any fundraising is gone through each team individually
0: so if there's anyone philanthropic listening and if they want to donate to either the run or the charity where do they go
1: Runtomontreal.com is the uh, is the website. And uh, if they want to make donations there, if somebody wanted to make a donation to the race uh, itself, what we would use that for, we've had uh, previous donations in the past, what we would use that for would be uh, things like the party at the end, um, depending on the amount uh, of money, or to get extra gear for the runners or extra nutrition for the runners. It would all go towards those types of things. www.run.com. Tomtl.com.
0: What does resilience mean for you?
1: It, Resilience—it's how much you can take, how much you can keep—you know, how much you can get knocked around and keep going, not being unfazed by outside factors when you're trying to, you know, put together. Let's say in this case, run to Montreal. I was very resilient. Um, I had a vision. I was going to push through, and I was going to do it by myself if I had to. But it was going to happen. People laughed. People snickered. Uh, people made fun. People said you couldn't do it. All that kind of stuff. Those things just generally roll off my back. Every now and again, you get something that maybe is hurtful, but you can't let it phase you. You've got to stand strong, and and you know. And I think the people with clear goals. Uh, and who put the work in and are motivated and de- determined will be more resilient. Uh, that's sort of how I sort of see things, you know, And uh, as a, as a long distance runner, the better your training, the better your base, the stronger your foundation. And in life, your support groups, the stronger your support system, the more resilient you'll be. You know, I don't believe in luck. I believe in making your own fortune if you do all those types of things every day, just do a little bit of extra work every day and be consistent, it's going to be hard to keep someone like that down.
0: Do you have a practice of resilience that you can share with us?
1: For me when I'm training, you know, the only way with three jobs and managing a business uh, to get everything in and now a fiance is, you know, I run commute. That's it. Uh every, you know, 4 or 5k that I run adds up or it's 3k to the gym or 7k to work and 7k back home or running to practice that's just sort of how i get around Uh, and there's no excuse running and training is a part of every day for me that's just my lifestyle that's who i am so i would say to people you know if you think you don't have time sit back and think well where could i save time Uh, a and b what can i do to maximize the time that i have
0: what are the wellness benefits that you find with your resilience practice
1: well you feel powerful you're not reliant on the ttc or reliant on outside factors as much i'm reliant on me
0: and the ttc is the local transit in toronto Correct. thank you so much darren i really appreciate you coming on the show i i really appreciate your time
1: thanks very much fabio for having me it's been a pleasure
0: Thank you for listening to The Stumbling Spirit, Contemplations on the Path of Resilience. This is Fabio De Silva Fernandez. Join me again next week for another episode of transformative stories and beneficial practices to guide you on your wellness journey. If you wish, you can follow and DM me on Instagram at The Stumbling Spirit. Until next time, take a deep breath and another step forward on your path of resilience.